Broadway Battles is a podcast that may contain mild language or adult themes. Viewer discretion is advised for those under 13. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Broadway Battles, the best quiz show about a musical you've never seen. I'm your host and resident musical theater expert, Haley Slammon. Just to let you know a little about myself if you haven't listened before, I'm an Oakland School for the Arts alumni, I have a BA in musical theater from Columbia College Chicago, I've been singing and performing in musicals for the last 10 years and I've loved them forever, so I promise you're in good hands. With me today is another new friend for you all to meet. They're Northwestern University alumni and are currently working in Chicago as a lighting designer and photographer. Please give your warmest internet welcome to Sam Van Loon. Hello! How's it going? It's going good. I'm sitting at my table. It's true. Ready to go. You're the first guest that has come to me from all the way across the internet. Most of my friends have been recording in my house with me, but you're a little far away from that. You're about 2,000 miles, I think. Yeah, a little, a, a bit of a hike. Yeah. I'm an, an Appalachian Trail away. <laughs> but you've been doing a lot of work since you got out of school. Tell me about the shows you've been doing. Yeah, I just opened my first show as a designer who killed Joan Crawford, which is about five gay men who are invited to a friend's 50th birthday party, instructed to come dressed as their favorite Joan Crawford characters. They are all subsequently murdered throughout the show. This sounds like the perfect thriller that I've been looking for. <laughs> it's hysterical oh that's Um, great there are such gems of lines as the choreographer who just won for tommy is thanking his wife a choreographer thanking his wife please (laughs) oh that might be a show i have to see it's fun it's a really fun show i'll consider making the flight just for you okay (laughs) well i'm really glad that you're doing work in theater but today we actually have a rather spooky musical movie for you. Okay. So so tell me, I've told you that we're doing Repo the Genetic Opera today. Yes. Do you know anything about the show? Literally zero. Okay, this is going to be a really fun time. I do want to warn people up front that this show is incredibly gory, incredibly sexy. It is like every hot topic stereotype. So if you're not into that, if you're not a Sweeney Todd person, if you're not a gore musical fan, this is probably not the podcast for you. You might want to skip out on this one. But for all the rest of you who are ready for a great spooky time for our Halloween October episode, oh man, have I got the show for you. So Sam, are you ready to learn about this thing and take my musical theater challenge? I am so ready. Okay. So we've already talked about this a little bit, but let me just explain the rules for anyone who's new here. On each episode of Broadway Battles, I tell my friend the plot of a musical they've never seen, as well as show them the musical numbers and tell them some neat facts about the show. At the end, we'll rank the best and worst songs, give our impressions and overall rating 1 to 10, and talk about if we'd pay to go see it. That's the easy part of what we're doing today. Along the way, I've written some questions for Sam about important dates in the show, names, lyrics, plot points, whatever I thought was really interesting. And you, Sam, are going to have to use all your theater skills to guess the questions I have. They are multiple choice. You'll get a fair chance. Every question you get correct equals points that you can use for bragging rights once you leave the show about your amazing musical theater skills. But if you get them wrong, you'll be a theater failure and you must leave the show in shame, never to return because you know you have terrible fucking guessing skills. Great. As always, if you have any questions, you should ask your stage manager, but we still don't have a budget for this show, so the stage manager is still me. So if you have any questions, just throw them out there. If you have any fun theater facts, stories, or upcoming events of your own, feel free to share those as well. We'll have a shameless plug section at the end of the episode. 
For now, though, do you need anything cleared up before we start? I think I'm ready to go. Great. Then let's play Broadway Battles! So, to get into this show, we're going to go into some musical theater background. We're mostly going to be talking about the movie version of this show because that is what is the most popular. But... There were several small productions of Repo done on stage before the movie premiered. Question number one. What year did Repo appear as a full musical for the first time? If you get this within five years, you're going to get one point. And if you hit this on the head, you will get five points to start off. Okay. Um, 2005? That's a very good guess. You are within the five years, so you're going to get a point. The first time this premiered as a full musical was actually in 2002. Really? Yeah. So there are two writers, Terrence Zadunich and Darren Smith. They started performing as this musical improv duo called The Gallery in 1999. They did this series of 10-minute operas. They would just, like, write 10-minute operas and perform them at bars. And one of them was based on the 1996 bankruptcy of Darren Smith's friend. Like, he went through a terrible bankruptcy. And Darren Smith wrote this opera called The Necromancer's Debt that was like, what if people had to pay for their surgeries and those could get repossessed if you went bankrupt? That's the basis. For Repo the Genetic Opera. Yes, I remember someone telling me about this now. I okay. couldn't remember. What, I knew someone had told me the concept of this show, but I couldn't remember what it was. I and thought yes. you might know the concept of this show because it's a very Sweetie Todd-like show and I feel like this is a thing you're going to be into. So luckily I have not asked any concept questions. You're fine. But yeah, this opera was the basis for Repo the Genetic Opera and... Terrence Zadunich and Darren Smith basically workshopped this thing in LA. They got some actors together and it was first performed as a 45 minute musical at the John Raitt Theater in Hollywood in 2002. It then went through a lot of workshopping. Over the next three years, it had a billion rewrites. There are songs that were in the stage version that are like very hard to find versions of. There are YouTube bootlegs of the show and that's it. It got to an off-Broadway tour. Wings Theater saw it in Hollywood and wanted to do a production of it. So they had a lot of changes in workshopping, but it eventually got to off-Broadway in 2005 with Wings Theater. That's as high as it got in stage productions. Terrence Zadunich said that they had never really had the funds to put it on on stage in the way they wanted to, and so they always envisioned it as something bigger. They wrote the script like a screenplay is a thing he talked about. He basically says, there are things in this show we knew we weren't ever going to be able to do on stage in a convincing way. We knew we were writing this to pitch it to a film company. So that being said, in 2005, they also got this 10-minute short film directed. It was directed and funded by Darren Lynn Bozeman, who really just liked this concept. And he was like, I'll make a movie out of this. And so they made a 10-minute short film. They pitched that film to a bunch of studios. And Lionsgate agreed to make the film. So they bought the rights to it. They started production. It was going to come out in late April of 2008, but it was pushed back to early November, which I think was an excellent choice, by the way. (laughs) This coming out in mid-April maybe wasn't the best marketing plan. The full-length film was directed by Bozeman. The soundtrack was produced by Yoshiki from the rock band X-Japan, and he wrote one song for the movie, but I was unable to find which song he wrote. 
The movie has some weird things about it. One of the weird things about it is Lionsgate basically just decided we're not gonna promote this thing. And so the director Bozeman and the writer Terrence Adunich were like, we will promote this film. And they did this thing called the Repo Road Tour. And so when it got released in theaters, they did a road tour at releases with a bunch of the cast. They did Q&As after with various cast members. And it seems like all the cast really liked doing this movie because they all agreed to do this like two or three times in different countries. What? There was a Q&A tour in the U.S., and that was really successful, so they did one in Canada where they shot the film, and they also did one in the U.K. Terrence Zadunich is in the film, so he was there, the director was there, and then they were also able to get, like, different cast members to just go on these crazy theater tours to promote this movie. That's <laughs> wild. It is pretty wild. It really sounds like everyone enjoyed working on this show movie, even though no one really believed in it, and it kind of bombed really hard. So some songs that were in the play are completely cut from the movie for narrative flow, but a lot of those songs that were cut were filmed and included as deleted scenes. Like, they thought they were going to have them and they just cut them for flow and time, but those scenes still exist in their fully produced glory, so we might watch a couple of those given our time constraints. They're pretty amazing. They should have been cut, but I'm really glad they got filmed. (laughs) I The worst cut in the history of musical movies is that they didn't include the King of Broadway in the movie version of the producers. Wow, that's a really that's a really strong opinion though. I really appreciate you have a strong travesty that song is hilarious. Well, travesties of music cutting aside, that's pretty much all I have to tell you about the production of this thing. It was a wild ride. Let's get into that plot. Hell yeah. The story takes place in a dystopian near future. I am going to start this plot synopsis with a caveat that says the movie is very much intended to be show don't tell. And so there are a lot of facts that I found reading the wiki and the plot synopsis that are not really explained in the movie. So for example... The plot synopsis on Wiki says that this takes place by the year 2056. I really don't think that the year 2056 is ever mentioned in the movie, but it might be the year 2056. Fair. I think it might just be something they pulled from a plot synopsis or from a script elsewhere, but there are definitely facts in this synopsis that don't get fully fleshed out in the movie. But yes, by the year 2056, an organ failure epidemic has killed millions in the country, in the world. And so the mega corporation Geneco, owned by Rotismo Roddy Largo, start offering organ financing or transplants on a payment plan. They basically start using the bodies of the dead to transplant new organs that haven't failed from this disease into new people and offer an installment plan if you can't pay. They're seen as the saviors of the world, and surgery is actually rebranded as a fashion statement by them so that they can continue selling these organ transplants. The slogan, it's what's on the inside that counts, is definitely used on some of their advertisements. Oh, God. (laughs) So that's just kind of like a conceit of the show that you have to deal with. Inside surgery is now a fashion statement. You also have to deal with the fact that Geneco has developed this new expensive painkiller called Zydrate. It's incredibly addictive but 
a black market version can be extracted from the dead and is sold by grave robbers at a much cheaper price. So anyone who has this problem doesn't necessarily have to go through the big corporations to get their fix. So all this happens. Roddy Largo also eventually lobbies a bill through Congress that legalizes organ repossession. So we slowly get this chain of events that is leading us to the dystopia our show starts in. At this point, we meet Roddy and his family. He has himself and his children. It's not really ever explained where his wife is. It doesn't matter. Question number two, though. How many children does Roddy have? Now, this question does have multiple choice answers, but if you want to not listen to them and just stab and you get it right, you will get five points instead of one point for just listening to the multiple choice. But I have to get it on the nose. You have to get it right. You can listen to the multiple choice if you want, and if you get it right then, you will still get a point. I'm going to do a shot in the dark. All right. How many children does he have? Five. He does not have five children. I'm so sorry. He has three children. So that's a failure for you, but you've still got one point on the board. Roddy has three children. Their names are Luigi, Amber, and Pavi. We'll get more into them later. They all have their own awful things. What you need to know for now is they're the most powerful family in the world. And that Roddy Largo is played by Paul Sorvino. His main thing is actually opera. Cool. Yeah, this show has a crazy cast. We'll get into it. We have the Largo family, Roddy and his three children. They're taking over the planet. They've made organ repossession legal. So now Jeanco hires organ repo men who come to take people's organs out of them if they don't make their payments. All this stuff that sets up the show is explained in this comic book style instrumental called Depraved Heart Murder at Sanatorium Square. There are comic book sections that tell you the plot backstory. Cool. And then the real world is the live action. And that's how they differ differentiate from this is just some story you need to know versus these are the actual characters. Cool. So you have that crazy comic book world. Then you have the grave robber, who is our quasi-narrator and played by the writer Terence Zadunich. The grave robber tells us about the repo men that are doing these crazy things in the title song, Genetic Repo Man. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's very much like the Sweeney Todd opener. Let's take a look at these first two songs and get you into the world of Repo the Genetic Opera. Yeah. Change your race? What the fuck? I think as a designer that you're really gonna be into this film because this film is aesthetic. Aesthetic the musical. See? Awful children. Wow. They're horrifying. <laughs> They're awful. Everyone is awful. The music is lit though. All of this music, you're gonna be like, Haley, what is this? It's every edgy genre, also opera. Look, so Say I'm just gonna make a confession. A heart, 13 year old me but somehow had never such a goth crush on Grave Robber. This feels very Rocky right Horror. It's super sweet, Todd, too. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this, this movie is not skimping on gore for you. Like, Fuck. you're getting all the bodies, all of them. Wow, yeah, he does indeed rip the still-beating heart from your chest. Yeah. So we get through the intro, you know, like I said, sets up the show, tells you what's going on in the world. Organs, surgeries, repo. We then have this big pan to Roddy Largo's office, where he has brought intel on his kids' awful shitty bad habits. They're addicted to Zydrate, they're murdering people, they're wearing women's faces. We'll get to Pavi in a little. Pavi wears women's faces. That's I'm not gonna kink shame. Charming. It's fun. 
So Roddy gets some intel on his kid's shitty bad habits. They're all shitheads. Roddy is also told, like, in his first scene, he has terminal something and is gonna die very soon. We assume it's the same disease that, you know, he's been curing, but it's not because he can't cure it. It's just terminal something. Cool. He doesn't take it very well. After he gets all this bad news... He dips, we, we like got to his office, he leaves his office, and he sings things you see in a graveyard, that his kids are a disappointment, and he doesn't know who's going to inherit his company when he's gone, and he has to figure it out. That's a big plot point in the show is, Roddy's gonna die, who gets his company? Meanwhile, while Roddy is pouting, we meet Shiloh Wallace. A weird girl is how I'm going to introduce her because we don't learn a whole lot about her yet. We do learn that she is played by Alexa Pena Vega. She's the girl from Spy Kids. This was like the girl from awesome. Spy Kids next big movie after Spy Kids. That's a that's a change, all right. So, yep, Shiloh Wallace, aka Spy Kids girl, is going to be a weird goth girl. Question number three. What is Shiloh doing when we meet her? Is she A, visiting a grave, B, eating lunch, C, catching animals, or D, all of the above? I'm going to go with all of the above. She is, in fact, doing all of the above. All of the above is always correct. You get a correct point. I really, I just wanted it to be all of the above. Shiloh is, in fact, doing all of the above. We see her coming through these weird catacombs, and she comes up at Marnie Wallace's grave. You can maybe connect the two dots that this is her mom, but the movie does not outright tell you this is her mom until later. But she's visiting her mom's grave. She's eating a sandwich. And wouldn't you know it, she sees a fucking bug. And she sneaks outside to catch a bug. So while she goes out into this cemetery that's not in her crazy catacomb, what's it called? Mausoleum. Her mother's grave is in a mausoleum. And so she walks outside of the mausoleum to catch this bug. And she meets our grave robber, who's robbing graves and singing 21st Century Cure really loudly about this crazy drug that he's harvesting from dead people. So since he's singing so loudly, he gets caught. Shiloh gets locked out of her crazy thing and captured by the repo men. It's a very intense sequence, and that's what we're going to watch next. All right. His guards are hot women. It's fine. Fair. My guards would definitely be hot women if I had guards. I would have hot guards of mixed genders, but they'd True. all be hot and in underwear and fishnets. Also required that my guards wear blue lipstick. And matrix shades. Very important. Yes. Like, I'm not saying that every visual moment in this movie is good. I am saying... It has a consistent aesthetic. That the visual designers knew exactly what they wanted. I want lots of veils, gas masks, fire. Girl, why were you trying to catch it in a cup against the grate? There was no world in which that worked. Sam, this is outdoors, right? Because there is a chandelier. Wait, I'm sorry. Where? (laughs) It will come back. We will come back to this scene. But look at the background. There's a goddamn chandelier. Like, I would just like to know, what is this location? Where is it? Subtle. Grave robber. Stealth master. Graves! Graves! So, yeah. Shiloh's dumb... The grave robber is loud. She gets caught. And it isn't made clear what the hell that insect even was. Nope. She just liked bugs, man. 
Shiloh Wallace, a slut for bugs. Shiloh gets caught and she passes out. We're gonna find out something is wrong with her. Roddy's watching this whole thing on his crazy, like, 18 TV screens. And he's smirking like a true supervillain. Like a true supervillain. And he says, let them go. So the grave robbers let them go. And Shiloh wakes up in her room, bald. You're probably wondering at this point, what the fuck is happening, Haley? Yes. Shiloh is in her room. It's made up like a crazy hospital sick room. And her dad is there taking care of her in a song that's appropriately called Shiloh Wakes. We learn that Shiloh is sick with a rare blood disease. Her dad tells her she missed her medication and fell unconscious. She's like, dad, no, I saw this crazy thing. There were all these bodies. And her dad is like, you didn't go outside. What the fuck are you talking about? It's just a bad dream. And so we already don't really know who to trust in this movie. What's going on? Maybe Shiloh is just fucking crazy and an unreliable narrator. You don't really know yet. Her dad locks Shiloh in her room, and she sings this angsty song called Infected, which is this song about her blood disease coming from her mother, and her mother dying and leaving her with this awful thing that makes her a prisoner. Shiloh's got a lot of baggage, okay? Yeah. So, we're gonna listen to that. Blood disease. So did these portraits want to be Harry Potter? Yeah. They're so weird. They're like those little 3D holographic cards that you like tilt. Yeah. I'm still not sure if this is good. You know, it doesn't need to be good to be enjoyable. I didn't say it did. Okay, she just collects bugs. Great. She just likes bugs, man. Also like a weirdly short nightgown. Look, we have to make Alexa Vegas slutty. She's legal. Okay. She looks like Wednesday Adams, man. I think they just wanted I think they just wanted the Spy Kids girl to be a Wednesday Adams. After Shiloh sings her angsty song to her mom's portrait, we cut back to comic book world because we're going to get Nathan's story. So Nathan is the dad. He's played by Anthony Head. So in comic book world, we learn that Marnie, who is Nathan's wife, got sick while she was pregnant with Shiloh. And Nathan was a doctor. He thought he had found the cure, but it killed Marnie instead of saving her. And so she's losing blood and she's dying. Nathan could only save one of them. And so he did this emergency C-section and cut Shiloh out of his wife and killed her. So we learn about that in this crazy comic book cutscene. Nathan then goes and sings the song Legal Assassin to a weirder portrait of Marnie because parallels as he gets ready for work. And it turns out that he's not a doctor anymore either. He's getting ready for work as the head repo man. So. Plot twist. Plot twist. Question number four. How many years has it been since Marnie died? You have the option to stab here for five points, but you also have multiple choice. So if you want me to tell you those, just let me know. Yeah. Okay. So how many years has it been since Marnie died? We have A, 15 years, B, 16 years, C, 17 years, or D, 18 years? 16. 16 so close. It has been 17 years. Damn it. Yep. So Shiloh, you might put two and two together, but I will say Shiloh is 17. That's gonna come up later. Uh, that was really just me guessing Shiloh's age because you had said It's pretty that. much just, yep, it's guessing Shiloh's age. Shiloh's 17. Yeah. 
We learn all that drama. Nathan sings his weird angsty song. It's a pretty good song. So we're going to play it on its own. This is the comic book thing and legal assassin. There might be a little too much comic book land. There's so much plot in this goddamn show. It truly has an operatic plot. I feel like this is their way to kind of cope with that. Okay, a real question. How many pictures is too many pictures of your dead wife? Uh, can I get the multiple choice answers? Uh, <laughs> too many. He's got to get ready for work. He has work to do. So yeah, Nathan's pretty fucked up, man. Yeah. Everyone has baggage. After Nathan's crazy plot twist, we quickly cut to a weird Geneco ad. This song is called Lungs and Livers, and it was originally going to be a full commercial in this movie, and they basically scrapped that idea and put this four seconds of song in as a transition instead. So that's why this is here. Great. We get this song as a quick transition cut, and then we go to the Geneco factory and Roddy's children singing Mark It Up in the organ warehouse. It's really just a comic relief song. The three children are fighting about who's gonna get the company and what they're gonna do with it once their dad dies. What I should mention is- Keep the vultures guessing. Keep those vultures guessing. Bill Mosley is playing Luigi, Nivik Ogre is playing Pavi, and of course, Paris Hilton is our lovely Amber Sweet. So we're gonna watch that song just real quickly. This is the end of Lungs and Livers and Mark It Up. Paris. Oh, he does have mixed gender hot guards. No, those are Par those are Paris guards. Hilton's guards. Only Amber sister. gets dude guards. Wow. <laughs> Luigi has anger problems. They're all terrible singers. You know, that's really what this show got panned for more than anything, is that they didn't hire singers in a lot of the roles. Yeah. Luigi. I mean I don't know what to say here. I character parts, man. I I honestly wouldn't have anyone else play Luigi or Pavi because I love them. Like I just think they sell the characters. I believe they're awful shirt ripping, face wearing monsters. Yeah. So that song happens as a quick little gore comic relief. We just wanted to shove some more bodies in, let's be real. Yeah, we, we just wanted to see someone get stabbed for no reason. Yeah, we just as quickly cut back to Shiloh, who's sitting in her room still being mopey and watching TV. She gets a crazy wristwatch message from Roddy Largo. Roddy tells her that he was a dear friend of her mother's and that he can help her find her cure for this crazy blood disease and that Shiloh should meet him at her mother's grave. So Shiloh, of course, is like, what the fuck? Sure, I'm 17. I'll sneak out of my room and go to my mom's grave to meet this crazy person. Whack. This is Right? Fine. Sure. You do you, Shiloh. While Shiloh's getting out of her room, we go to Roddy's car where he's on the way to meet her. And we also go back to comic book world to learn more about Roddy's story. Cool. It also flashes back to 17 years ago. We learn that Marnie and Roddy were lovers until she met Nathan. Nathan, and Nathan convinced Marnie to leave Roddy and marry him. Oh. Roddy's <laughs> big dick energy indeed. Roddy, you know, as we've probably learned, is a man who doesn't take this well. Question number five. Roddy has been keeping a secret about Marnie. What is it? A. He poisoned the cure for Marnie. So the cure Nathan gave her was real. He just poisoned it. Roddy poisoned it. 
Okay. B, he had the real cure for Marnie's illness and just hid it from Nathan and like let him struggle and kill his wife. C, he's actually Shiloh's father. Or D, he was able to save Marnie and has her trapped at Jeanco. I'm gonna go with A. It is A. Oh, I thought I would throw you off with some plot twists that might be real, but no, he did. Roddy had poison snuck into Nathan's laboratory as part of his medicine components. And so when Nathan was mixing his cure, he actually mixed in. Instead of whatever ingredient he thought was putting in the cure, he actually put in Roddy's poison and that's what killed Marnie. So Roddy's also a terrible fucking person. Basically everyone's awful. I mean, we knew Roddy was awful before. So That was clear from the concept of the musical <laughs> you don't think people lobbying bills for organ repossession through congress can be good people you know no that's a valid answer we learn that roddy is even worse of a person than we thought we also learn that once roddy killed marnie he used marnie's death as blackmail the reason nathan is a repo man is to keep himself out of jail for murder he can't be a doctor anymore if you come work for me as a repo man i'll make all this just go away Wow, people with money are horrible. People with money are horrible. Could maybe be considered one of the themes of this show. Yeah, uh, I'm glad I make absolute jack shit as a freelancer, because clearly money makes you a horrendous person. That freelance grind is too real. So yeah, comic book world has a lot of awful twists that no one really wanted. Back in Roddy's car... After we find out all these terrible things, we follow Roddy as he's going to meet Shiloh and he sings Things You See in a Graveyard Reprise. The things that he reveals in this song are that his kids aren't getting any part of his company or his fortune. He's trying to pay back Shiloh for the shitty things that he did to Marnie. Okay. We'll get into how he does that in his own fucked up way in a little bit, because that's kind of what the show's main conflict is. But meanwhile, while he's singing this crazy song, he goes to Shiloh's mom's grave and kidnaps her. He, like, throws smoke bombs in her mausoleum and gets his guards to just take Shiloh and shove her in his car. So after he kidnaps Shiloh, he sings at her in this song scene called Limo Ride, and he offers a lot of things. He says he's going to an event tonight, that he wants to take her and introduce her to Blind Mag. And he also tells her that Jean Co. is creating the fix to all blood diseases and that she could be the first person to test it and she could be like the poster child for progress. And she is very tentative about all this. She tries to say no, but like she's kidnapped in a car. So I guess we're going to a stupid function and meeting Blind Mag. Yeah. Let's learn a little bit more about Roddy in this crazy section and listen to Things You See in a Graveyard Part 2 and Limo Ride. See, like, people say that he's a bad singer, and I'm like, no, he's an opera singer, he's just speak singing. Don't blame the actor. Do you see the chandelier? Where are we? Where are we? Fucking excuse me. Looks like I'll be like, this is outside, there's a car! Sure cannot stop his own extinction. This is a legit opera scene. Like, this is some recitatives. He's a really good singer. He's a real singer! The reason I feel like these scenes are included is so he can sing more. Ah yes, I am the wisest villain.
Meanwhile, back at home, Nathan is still working, and we have another crazy comic relief gore number. Yay! So Nathan sings Thankless Job, and he's getting a heart from Rando Man, I don't know, number three at this point, I think. It's it's a song about how he does a job that no one else wants to do, but it's an important job that needs to get done. Ah, yes. While he is doing his work... The song ends, and we see another Geneco ad for Mag's crazy eye surgery. We'll get to this a little bit more later in the podcast and in the plot. Mag has some crazy eyes. They do some crazy things. But that ad for her eye surgery is how we transition back to the event we're all going to, which is the first annual post-plague Italian Renaissance Fair. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yep, Back in Sanatorium Square after Nathan finishes up singing about his work, we are at the first annual post-plague Italian Renaissance Fair, which is an event that Gene Co. is hosting for all of the, like, elite people who sample their surgery to celebrate the fact that people have stopped dying from the organ epidemic. Fine. We have another weird segment in which Pavi gets a new face. Pavi gets a new lady face in a song called Gen Turns. It's just more creepy weird shit. And then we get a song- I love that the face is just stapled on. It's it's fine. It's so you can change it. And then we get the song Luigi Pavi Amber Harass Mag. That's the name of the song. And so appropriately, appropriately in this song, Luigi, Pavi, and Amber- Harass Mag! The only- Whoa! I thought they'd be harassing Nathan! The only real important thing that we maybe learn from all of this is Mag is leaving, question mark? But but that's basically what the children are talking about. They're like, where are you gonna go? What the fuck is happening? Why are you leaving? And we don't really know about any of why that's important yet, but it will become clear very shortly. So let's get these couple of- comic relief songs out of the way before we get into the real heavy plot songs next. This is going to be Thankless Job, Jen Turns, and Luigi Pavi Amber Harass Mag. Great. This this voice is right up there with the Batman voice though. Like, oh my god, I can't believe that he maintained this voice. Sam, he just really likes his work. Wow. I love that he uses the guy like a puppet. Yeah, he has a puppet. Mm, I know, right? Did you think you could be made uncomfortable by three sexy voices? Because you can. Shirt number two. I mean, clearly it's a thing he does. His injury has a fresh shirt for him. This movie is aesthetic. Someone worked really hard on the design for this. Yeah. So after we do some harassing of Blind Mag, Roddy shows up and sorts all his shit. He kicks out his children and he introduces Mag and Shiloh in the song Seeing You Stirs Memories. Question number six. How old was Blind Mag when she got her crazy eye surgery? You can stab at this one for five points, but I also have multiple choice for you. We'll do multiple choice. All right. I haven't had much luck with stabbing. I understand. You know, some people are trying to get those points, so I I thought I'd throw in some... Luigi is much better at stabbing than I am. (laughs) Oh, that was too loud. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Question number six. How old was Mag when she got her crazy eye surgery? Was she A, 17, B, 19, C, 21, or D, 32? 21? Mag was only 19 when she got her surgery. Roddy tells us that Mag was 19 when he first heard her sing, and he decided at that moment that he would help her see and make her into the biggest star. So back in comic book land, we learn that back 17 years ago, Mag was best friends with Marnie, and Marnie is actually the one who introduced Mag and Roddy. We learn that Mag got this crazy eye surgery, TM, and she didn't realize that she was signing this contract with her surgery to be the exclusive voice for Gene Co. and sing for them exclusively. She signs this contract for her surgery, and she doesn't realize that she's signing away her life. So she becomes pretty much the exclusive property of Gene Co. and has to sing for them. So we learn that in Crazy Comic Book World. Back in the real world, we're watching the song Seeing You Stirs Memories Reprise. Mag is announcing that she will be leaving Gene Co. and is announcing her final performance. At the same time, Roddy is like threat begging her not to leave. He's like, please don't go. But technically you're our property. And it's very like smooth. It's happening as they announce ticket sales and Shiloh is there watching the whole thing. So we're going to play those two songs, Seeing You Stir's Memories and Seeing You Stir's Memories, The Reprise, and give it a watch. Great. These contacts are great. Also, yes, Sam, that's Sarah fucking Brightman. Christine Daae is in this goddamn movie. Also, yeah, Sarah Brightman sounds exactly like Sarah Brightman. Afterwards, there's a very quick transition scene that's called My What Big Scissors You Have. Meg is really just selling tickets for her final performance, but Shiloh gets dragged off by these weird sexy nurse guards and just taken to a random tent. No one's there. She's just alone. We then cut to a short song scene called Inopportune Telephone Call. Roddy tells Nathan that he has to go immediately collect on this Handelman account that is past due and retrieve Jinko's property. Nathan goes to do this, but he also decides that it's a great time to call Shiloh and check up on her. And so they have this really awkward song scene where she's telling him everything's fine and he's telling her everything's fine, even though there's a guy screaming in the background. And it's cute. It's kind of cute. It's the only real time I think they show affection to each other until like the very end of the show, even though it's kind of fake and manufactured because they're just trying to pretend everything's fine. However, Nathan is doing something else during this call, retrieving a gross body part. Question number seven. What body part is Nathan collecting during this number? Is it A, a liver, B, a heart, C, a spine, or D, some lungs? I'm gonna go with heart. You're so wrong. He actually just rips out this man's spine. What the fuck? It's always a heart. Every other one has been a heart. Nope. No, it, no hearts this time. It, Only spine. I think they just wanted to see someone's spine get ripped out. That's fair. Which just, I get. I think it's a little better than just amorphous every organ, personal yeah. opinion. <laughs> I would agree with this. So we're going to listen to this weird transition scene and also this awkward phone call. Here's my what big scissors you have and an opportune phone call. 
How are you supposed to read anything in the dark night on a clear sheet of paper? Shallow. I like the touch that he took the time to put the wristwatch on the outside of his gross body Yes? Ooh. Ooh. That's a spine, all right. That's definitely a spine, right? Wow. Nathan does his job. Shiloh takes some pills. Everything's fine. No one's dead. No one's dead at all. The grave robber just bursts in through a wall of the tent. Not a door. He's just there. And he kind of tries to apologize to Shiloh for the whole nearly getting her killed in a graveyard thing. And yeah. she basically says, if you really want to apologize to me, I need to get out of here. Help me escape. And so they escape. In a song appropriately titled, Shiloh and the Grave Robber Escape. Meanwhile, Roddy is still at the main stage and he's trying to introduce his daughter Amber to talk about the Zydrate support network that she runs. But once again, she hasn't shown up and Roddy is just kind of an embarrassed mess. He doesn't really know what to do and all these cameras are on him and Amber's not fucking there again. We then quickly go into this comic book scandal world for just a hot minute. It's equivalent to like seeing scandal headlines in any other movie, but in this movie they're comic books. And they tell all these rumors that Amber's addicted to the knife and black market surgery and street zydrate. So it's all these horrible rumors about her. We then find out these numbers are 100% true in the next song called Zydrate Anatomy. Shiloh and the Grave Robber are escaping through the streets. And they run into a bunch of prostitutes and Amber, who's hanging out on the town with her crazy bodyguards. Amber's really upset because she wants to be this like famous star and Mag is leaving so she thinks it's gonna be her opportunity but it doesn't really seem to be like no one wants to hear her sing because she's not talented and so Amber's really pissy about it and she basically lets the cat out of the bag that Mag's contract says that if she ever stops working for Jinko that Jinko is allowed to take her eyes. Oh. Yeah, it's printed in this, like, weird fan magazine that Amber just happens to have. And so she gives it to Shiloh and she's like, look at this awful story. And so now Shiloh knows that Mag is in trouble. So they yeah. have this crazy emo song called Zydrate Anatomy. And then Amber is picked up by Roddy's disposal crew. And Shiloh and the Grave Robber have to run away, jump on, like, a garbage truck, and get back home to Shiloh's place. So it's an interesting little sequence. Zydrin Anatomy is definitely the most well-known song of any of these. If you know a song from the show, it's probably going to be this song. So let's watch this little sequence where Shiloh and the Grave Robber escape, and we learn some more about this crazy drug called Zydrate. Here is Shiloh and the Grave Robber escape and Zydrate Anatomy. Says what? His microphone says face, 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 face. Oh God. Do you think that's a magazine? I hope there's a magazine in this world called Face Face. That's my bad. So I saw this movie for the first time when I was like 13, and Hot Topic was just becoming like a popular thing. And this was every Hot Topic kid's dream. This is the aesthetic yeah. that we were all shooting for. I feel like someone has shown me this song at some point. It basically shows the aesthetic of the show in one song. So we make this great escape. Shiloh is able to get home and sneak back into her room before Nathan gets back and finds out she's been gone. So everything's fine. We made this smooth outing without incident. Yay. Nathan pretty much gets back the same time as Shiloh. She is able to get up the stairs and into her room and Nathan immediately gets home after that. So he goes up to check on Shiloh and Shiloh obviously pretends to be asleep because that's the only way to not deal with associating with your family. Right. Nathan 
wants to go and like check on her further, but Roddy calls him and says that he has to come meet him immediately. So Nathan doesn't find out yet that Shiloh still has the magazine that Amber gave her, and Shiloh gets to read all of it in detail while she's left alone in her room. Meanwhile, at yeah. Roddy's office, Roddy gives Nathan a new assignment. He tells Nathan that Mag is leaving Jinko and that her eyes are Repo's property. So he tells Nathan that he has to go cut Mag's eyes out. And Nathan says, fuck you. He doesn't actually say fuck you. But he says that Meg was such a close friend to Marnie that he doesn't want to do it because he already disgraced Marnie by killing her and is this awful person. And he doesn't want to further ruin her memory by hurting her best friend. Roddy tries to take Nathan on this terrible guilt trip and tells him he's already a monster because he's killed Marnie. And so he takes Nathan into this meat locker of bodies and has a random dude all set up for him and tries to get him to, you know, give in to his monstrous urges and cut up this dude. So Nathan does cut up this dude, but then he still says, I'm not a monster and you need to find someone else to do this job because I won't do it. That sends Roddy over the edge and he's like, well, if Nathan's not gonna be my repo man, I'm just gonna have him killed. And that's how we get to the point in the show where Nathan is under attack from Gene Co's guards. Does he cut their organs out? I bet he cuts their organs out. That's a pretty good guess. I mean, that's kind of his specialty. This whole sequence happens with two songs. The first song is called Who Ordered Pizza? That's the song that happens in the office. And the next song is called oh, Night Surgeon. And the next song is called Night Surgeon, where Nathan goes into the body locker and kind of gives in to his urges. So let's take a listen to those. I cannot do this. These job. numbers are the reason this actually feels like an opera though. Remember who you are. Remember, the in a grainy flashback, please. What Where it looks like there's an earthquake me. happening. <laughs> All of my memories happen in shaky cam. I mean, of course. This doesn't seem like a very medically safe way to store bodies. So what is this weapon? Yeah, it's... Medical tools on a stick? See, I'm really sad that you haven't seen Sweetie Todd because there are so many Sweetie Todd parallels in this movie. I think they have to be intentional. I really should see Sweetie Todd. It's a great what a show. theater nerd I am. Nathan storms off and Roddy's really angry about it. And that's the end of that number because we have to cut back to home because Sarah Brightman wants to show up and Sarah Brightman. <laughs> While Nathan is away... Blind Mag has arrived to try to talk to Shiloh and also to sing the song Chase the Morning for like five minutes. This song is great. Sarah Brightman maybe can't act, but she sure as hell can sing. And she sings the crap out of this number. Unlike most of this cast, which can do neither or one of the two. <laughs> Mag shows up and she tells Shiloh, who has somehow seen her out of her window and also gotten out of her locked room and downstairs again, how does she keep getting out? He must have awful locks. I mean, obviously when you're using Victorian locks with really old keys that go in a keyhole, they're easy to pick. Oh yeah, he does have terrible locks. Yeah, he actually has terrible locks. Once Shiloh gets out of her room and gets downstairs, Mag tells her that she was really close friends with her mom and that she actually was told Shiloh had died with her mother when her mother died. And plot twist, blind Mag is actually Shiloh's godmom, but she didn't know she was supposed to be godmoming because she thought Shiloh was dead. A bunch of other stuff happens. Mag sings for a while. It's beautiful. She does some crazy eye stuff to show Shiloh her mother, and that's why Shiloh lets her in. 
Mag tells her, don't waste your life. I couldn't help you because I wasn't there for you and it's too late for me, but you can't stay inside. And she tells Shiloh, like, go live your life. Don't stay trapped in this cage. And that's really the whole theme of this song. That's why it's called Chase the Morning. And it's so good, we're going to listen to it all by itself. Sarah Brightman, so talented, she can sing harmonies with herself in a courtyard. I really wish we knew more about Shiloh's mom, like why she was singing or anything about her other than she was dead, really. Yeah. So yes, Nathan comes back. Dun dun dun. Ba, ba, ba. After Nathan comes back and gets this beautiful crazy shot behind Mag, Mag has a little standoff with him, and she reveals that Nathan is the one who told her Shiloh died. They all have this big fight number in the song Everyone's a Composer, and Nathan throws Mag out of their house. Shiloh says slash sings the song Come Back, tells Nathan that she knows about Mag's ivory possession and shows him this fan magazine and begs her dad to help Mag. But Nathan tells his daughter to shut up. Great dad. In fact, he says the line and the song, what chance has a 17-year-old girl? So Shiloh goes to her room to pout and be angry. Her dad comes in and tries to apologize, but she's already really done with him. So she tries to be a little bit like cute and pouty. And then she's like, actually, just kidding. Screw you. And she sings the song 17, which is a rock dream sequence where Alexa, the Spy Kids girl, gets to be hot for like five minutes because we've had her in a nightgown for way too long in this show. Yeah. Yeah, so, we have. So we get to dress Shiloh up in these crazy rocker punk clothes, and she has an excellent rock number sequence called 17. Question number eight. Which rocker makes a cameo appearance in this number? Is it A, Stevie Nicks, B, Joan Jett, C, Pat Benatar, or D, Belinda Carlisle? It'd help if I knew who any of these human beings were. Wow, um, Sam! Okay. So, A, Stevie Nicks, B, Joan Jett, C, Pat Benatar, or D, Belinda Carlisle. C? C, Pat Benatar? It's a very reasonable guess, but no. Joan Jett is in this number. She makes a cameo appearance, and she looks great. Cool. The only other Belinda I have ever heard of is the protagonist of the masterful series, My Dad Wrote a Porno. Amazing. So yes, Joan Jett makes her cameo. I'm sorry that you got that incorrect, but it's all right. You still have plenty of questions to go. Shiloh has her little angsty 17 number. She swears and her dad slaps her. And that brings the end of the whole dream thing and the end of the song. Great. Here is 17. Bye. I'm always a slut for a good deal. Behind her weird plastic curtains. I'm gonna hide in my quarantine room. Nothing ever lasts in this world. I have completely accepted that, and that is why I'm going to hang on to you obsessively. Yep. I do love that top. She's just really cute for like five minutes. Like, here it is. Alexa Vega is legal and hot now. Hope you enjoyed this. Goodbye. It wasn't okay for you to have a crush on her in her last movie, but it is now. And yeah, here's Joan Jett. You've been 17 for the whole movie, Shiloh. <laughs> uh, they used their one F-bomb well. 
I'm pretty sure that this musical is rated R. There's way too much gore in it for it to not be. So Shiloh is a fucking monster, and her dad is having none of that. I will have none. Thank you, Shiloh. (laughs) Goodbye. And goodbye to that whole scene, too, because we're cutting back to Roddy's office again. While this whole scene has been going on and Shiloh and Nathan have been fighting, Amber has had another surgery and has botched her face somehow. So So she's in Roddy's office trying to convince him to give her more money to have another surgery and fix it. And he reprimands her in the song, Happiness is Not a Warm Scalpel. Wow. I'm sure it isn't, but fuck. But he also looks at her face and decides that she is so hideous that he has to have his doctors fix her up. So he agrees, she's happy and goes off, and he's left alone in his office to sing his ballad called Gold. It's really a screw everyone song. He's talking about how his kids are a disappointment and Marnie left him and Nathan betrayed him and he just doesn't want to deal with anyone anymore. He really just wants to deal with his money because it's the thing that matters in the world. It makes the world go round. And as he's dealing with this, he's also looking at his will. And on his will, we see him sign Shiloh's name. And that's all we're dealing with for right now. But we'll find out more about that later. He's definitely put Shiloh's name in his will. So that's really the only stuff that happens in this little sequence. Here are the songs, Happiness is Not a Warm Scalpel and Gold. She's hideous! That is pretty bad. Oh. Coughed up blood. She was so gross. <laughs> I mean, if you're if it if you're a singer, it's pretty bad. I will say, like, as a performer, I'm I'm built for radio now. It got a great Are face okay? for radio, hon. Yes. So Ooh, there's that opera high note. Yes, bitch. <laughs> yeah, this man is a singer. So his plan is somehow to leave Shiloh everything, but only if she earns it. Shit, that was, that was opera. Opera! (laughs) Drama! Roddy got his beautiful ballad, he has his beautiful high notes, he proves to us all that he's a true opera singer among random actors. We then cut back to Shiloh's room where she is once again passed out. Sure. And Nathan is taking care of her, but he also gets a number called Nathan Discovers Roddy's Plan. Nathan finds out that Roddy has been secretly calling Shiloh on her little watch phone. He then sings the song, Tonight We Are Betrayed, because he feels betrayed by everyone and starts giving in to like the monster within him, the true repo man. While this is happening and Nathan is getting ready to go out and kill Roddy, it's not really explained what he's doing, but he tries to go into his like repo den. While this is happening, Roddy plays a message on the billboard outside Shiloh's room, and Shiloh manages to see it, and he gets her to sneak out and go to the opera that's happening tonight because he already has a driver outside. While Shiloh is doing this, Nathan is in his repo room getting attacked by assassins. You're definitely gonna get some cutting. We've already seen his two-foot-long scalpel. Scalpel on a stick. Best way. This is obviously a movie and there is no break, but I would like to say that I think this is the best place to consider as the separation between act one and act two. 
let me give my arguments yeah. for this. All of the plot has happened and we're about to get into like solving things. That starts happening in the next number because everyone is about to go to the opera where all the shit happens. Two, when you listen to the album version of this movie, the songs are not in order. And the song they actually start with is at the opera tonight, which is the next song in the sequence of events after Tonight We Are Betrayed. So I feel like if you were gonna start a second act, since the album thinks it's a starting song, and since it kind of sets up that everyone's going to the opera where all the things are gonna happen, it feels like an entr'acte. And so very obviously, if that's the entr'acte, the song before it would be the end of act one. Right, because everyone knows that entr'actes have to be, let's go to a place. In case you were one of those dumbasses that got here late, here's what happened in the first act, but and that's... here's where we're going now. <laughs> like, but that's really what an entr'acte does sometimes. So here's what I would like to think of as the end of Act 1. This is Nathan Discovers Roddy's Plan, and tonight we are betrayed. Into the repo den. See, when I give betrayed. it to my dark side, my voice gets an echo and a growl effect. And all the portraits turn off. This is my evil voice. Here's my good dad voice. Roddy I love what they consider a song. That is the <laughs> wildest thing to me. What they think a song is, is three lines and some amount of music. Yeah, I had a very hard time divvying up the song sequences in this because some of them are legitimate songs and those are the ones we've usually been listening to on our own. But yeah, there are also these chunks of like two or three just scene songs. And that's very much how an opera is. Like this show tried really hard to structure itself as an opera. Okay, so that's what I would consider the end of Act 1. We've set up all the plot lines, we've gotten everyone out of the house and on the run, and we're all somehow gonna end up at the opera where Blind Mag is singing tonight and some crazy shit is gonna happen. But before we get to that, we're gonna take a quick break and go get some water and go to the bathroom, make sure Sam as a guest is still perfectly fine. We'll see you on the other side of this intermission. Hey there, everyone. We really hope you're enjoying Broadway Battles. If you do like the show, I'm just here real quick to tell you a few more ways you can connect with and support us. As always, the most helpful tool for a new show is recommendations from fans. So if you know someone who loves musicals or trivia, tell them about the show. You can also share our episodes on your own sites, tag us at hashtag Broadway Battles, and give our episodes a great review, a five-star rating, a like or comment, whatever you're listening on, every little bit of engagement really does help. I'm currently working on the production side of the show myself, so research, writing, editing, scheduling, recordings, that's all me. That means if you want updates on the show, or if you want to send me recommendations for episodes, your thoughts, or maybe even want to be a guest yourself, you can find all of that at my personal website, HaleySlammon.com, my Facebook artist page, Haley Slammon, or on my Instagram and Twitter at Haley Slammon. That's H-A-L-E-Y-S-L-A-M-O-N. It's got all the news about what I'm working on and a bunch of things I've made. If you love what I'm doing and want to support my work even more, I do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Haley Slammon. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get cool perks like unedited episodes, exclusive streams, secret pictures, handmade gifts, and more. Plus, every dollar you give goes back into making more cool art to share with you. I'd love to be able to hire more people and make even more high-quality episodes for you, but that doesn't happen for free. So for now, the Patreon is the best way to guarantee better and more frequent work. Thank you so much again for listening and supporting the stuff we're making, because of course this doesn't happen without your help. Now, let's get back to the show. 
Welcome back, everyone, to our spooky Halloween episode of Broadway Battles. We're still covering Repo the Genetic Opera. When we last left off, Sam had three points, a lot of questions about what's going on, and not really any nice opinions about everyone in the show, because they're all terrible people. We're going to get back into the show with the two songs, At the Opera Tonight and Bloodbath. They're basically an entourage, and they serve the exact same purpose, to tell the audience that everyone's going to the opera, and some crap is going to happen, and people are going to die. So let's just jump straight into those songs. Here is At the Opera Tonight and Bloodbath. I made my peace. No chance for peace. Mag, you definitely shouldn't be in this graveyard. You should definitely be getting ready for your show. What is your call time? I'll stain the streets. They'll run with blood. It's gonna be a bloodbath. Everyone else got to sing about the opera, so the grave robber really wants to sing about the opera, too. So, everyone has gotten to the opera. But what good opera wouldn't have a good pre-show? Before Blind Mag sings, we get the number, we started this opera shit. And it's a pre-show where Gene Co. really just gets some free advertising. They ask people in the audience to stand up and testify about the amazing success stories that Geneco has made happen for them. So we get a bunch of people standing up and talking about their wonderful surgeries and what great lives they have now. Question number eight. Writer Darren Smith also makes a cameo in this number. Who does he play? A. Is he a random testifier? B. Is he a theater usher? C. Is he the band leader? Or D, is he the lead guitarist? Mm. Testifier, usher, band leader, or guitarist? Guitarist. So close. He's the band leader, isn't he? He is the band leader. Fuck! There's a person who asks all of the testifiers to line up, line up, and testify. Darren Smith is that guy. He's running around the whole theater in a powdered wig. It's truly glorious. Nice. So this happens, it's really fun, it's a big energy number. Let's listen to We Started This Opera Shit. So this guy is the writer. And come on, if you picked a cameo, wouldn't you want to dance through a theater aisle followed by sexy nurses? I would. Yeah, I'd sing a little better though. Look, he's a writer, not a singer. So while this is all going on, Shiloh gets to the opera house, but she doesn't come in the main entrance like Roddy does. Her driver takes her to this crazy backstage elevator. Of course. And after she gets out of the elevator, she's in this weird room. It's not really ever explained where this is, but it's somewhere in the theater. And waiting for her is a crazy video that Roddy has made her about her cure. It's another song scene called Interrogation Room Challenge. Cool. Roddy tells Shiloh he has her cure. It's already waiting for her. The only thing she has to do to earn it, they have a rogue repo man who has stolen Jinko's property and lost his mind. And he wants to kill Shiloh. If Shiloh really wants to save her life and get her cure, she has to fight for it and fight the man who's attacking her and kill him. She doesn't oh. know this yet, but we all know it's her fucking dad. Roddy is telling her she needs to kill her dad to get her cure. Adorable. So, so that's his challenge for her. If she wants to get the life she sought, she needs to do this thing for him. Back on stage, meanwhile, Amber Sweet has started her number. Question number nine. Something bad happens to Amber on stage. What is it? A. She pukes up blood. B. Her hair catches fire. C. Her face falls off. 
Or D, she falls off stage. Face falls off. Face does fall off. This song is called Blame Not My Cheeks. And while Amber is singing and twirling around on stage because of all her botched surgeries, her face peels off and she's left in tears as the whole audience laughs at her. So let's watch this most glorious moment in Paris Hilton's career. These are the songs Interrogation Room Challenge and Blame Not My Cheeks. Do you think Roddy has an editing team or he just is in like some room cutting this film together himself? Because if he has an editing team, he has to tell someone this crazy plan, right? Yeah. I love that we start with her face peeling off. Because we have to get grosser. Wow. Beautiful. What a comic relief number. That was something. So we have this crazy interlude where Paris Hilton's face falls off and she just picks it up and walks off stage in shame. Her character's pretty much done with now. Blind Mag is after her and finally takes to the stage to sing her final performance in the beautiful ballad Cromagia. Cromagia is a legitimate Italian aria. It is gorgeous. Sarah Brightman kills this song. It's wonderful. I mean, at least it is an opera number at the opera. With Cromagia being an Italian, you're not going to understand it unless you speak fluent Italian. So, question number 10. What is the song Cromagia about? Is it... A, a bird, B, a ghost, C, a rainbow, or D, a painting. Painting? You'd think that Cromagia is a song about a bird. Interesting. The story of Cromagia is Cromagia was a bird that got shot by a hunter's arrow, and the bird thought that it was under attack and being chased, so it flew away. But the arrow was still in its side, and while the bird flies away, it drags the arrow and hurts others. The, the physics of that... It's a metaphor! Right, right. I, think, I understand that. I think but she is the bird. First of all, first of all, <laughs> birds aren't big. They're really just, they're not. They're small. I mean, maybe Kromaj is like a mythical bird? Big bird. Alright, we'll assume Cromagia is at least the size of, like, a bald eagle, if not, like, a large osprey. Big bird of prey we'll go with. Not that people hunt those, but we'll roll with it, because that's the only size bird that could fly with the weight of an arrow. If the arrow's in the wing, I'll buy it. It could be pointing forward. This it, bird is just flying around stabbing people? I like that. That's a good... I'll fucking buy it. So I think Mag is supposed to be the bird, but I don't really understand why she's the bird, because no one else got hurt in the show because of her. Maybe Amber, but that's about it. Yeah. But she sings this beautiful ballad, and then the last two lines in English are, Come take these eyes, I would rather be blind. And Mag proceeds to stab her eyes out on stage. Oh. And Roddy is backstage... I guess he was maybe gonna take Mag and kill her as soon as she finished, but instead he just cuts the rope that she's been flying on, and she drops down onto the stage and is impaled on a fence, and everyone sees this. So I guess Roddy got his way, but he didn't get his eyes back. Yeah! Mag gets an amazing final performance to be remembered forever with the ballad Chromagia, so let's take a listen to it. You see she's on a fly wire because she's the bird. 
I don't know if you know this, but Sarah Brightman is a rather polarizing soprano. Like, a lot of people hate her singing, but I think she can hit those high notes. I think once she really starts opening her mouth, her voice is gorgeous, but the quality of her vowels is weird. I can see that, but I think it's because her low notes are quiet, and she has to, like, yeah. alter her vowels to make them heard. But, uh, I think her high notes are pristine. Shock and awe abounds. Mag is dead. Really Really dead, dead, though. Brutally, gruesomely, extra super dead. So obviously, everyone is pretty shocked. But the crazy announcer voice that's been coming through these loudspeakers says, Don't worry, it's all part of the show. It's fine. Roddy also comes out in the song Peace de Resistance and tells everyone that they should stay in their seats and stay tuned because there's a show that they really don't want to miss coming up. After he says all this, we cut back to the weird room that Shiloh's been hiding in, and Nathan's there. He's finally made it through all the crazy assassins, I guess. He walks into the room, and he sees this chair with Shiloh's veil, and he goes over and tries to check on her, but of course it's a trick, and Shiloh has just put her veil and, like, some lumpy things on the chair to make a fake person, and she actually sneaks up behind him and hits him in the head with a shovel. Oh. Because she doesn't know it's him. She doesn't know it's him. Because he's in Repo Man stuff. And after she hits him in the head with a shovel, his helmet falls off. So Shiloh can see. Shiloh can see. It dad. And they have a little confrontation about this. Shiloh's obviously not too pleased that her dad is a murderer. And also has, you know, been lying to her for 17 years. So they sing this song scene called Let the Monster Rise. Nathan has some excuses, but they aren't great. Of course they're not. So Shiloh's not really having any of it. And then Mag's dead body pops up on the weird projector screen. So she's like, oh no, Mag, and just leaves the room. Is done talking to her dad. I'm gonna go. Walks out. So that's the last straw for her father. Her father is like, everyone's left me. I have nothing else to live for. I guess I'm gonna let the monster rise. I'm gonna be the monster that everyone wants me to be. So here are those two song scenes. This is Peace de Resistance and Let the Monster Rise. Let's give them a listen. Let's just get all that off the stage. Scene transition. Way to just out your plan, Roddy. One has replaced you, Dad. I hate you. Go and die. Eh, take your helmet. So she definitely didn't kill the Repo Man, but I guess hitting him in the head with a shovel and saying he's dead to her was good enough? If you're dead to me, you're dead. So yeah, Shiloh's pretty done with her dad. I would be. Dad's pretty done with life. They're both going to get to the stage because we have a traumatic finale to have. Yeah, we do. A bunch of stuff is about to happen on the stage now that everyone's here. Question number 11. Who's going to die? A. Nathan and Shiloh. B. Just Nathan. C. Just Roddy. Or D. Nathan and Roddy. D. Nathan and Roddy. You are correct, my love. You got it right. Nathan and Roddy are gonna die. Let's get into how it happens. We go into the number Sawman's Lament. Everyone's on the stage, and Roddy suddenly comes out and announces that he's dying, but he's planned his perfect death. He reveals to the audience that Nathan killed Shiloh's mom. Shiloh is also on stage and hasn't heard this before, by the way. So Roddy tells the whole audience and Shiloh that Nathan killed her mother. We then go into the song, The Man Who Made You Sick, 
where Roddy also reveals that Nathan has been poisoning Shiloh and her entire illness is a lie. Nathan admits to this and says that he wanted to protect Shiloh. So yeah, her whole life is a lie. Shiloh isn't sick. Her dad killed her mom. She's going through some stuff and it's happening on stage in front of 100 people. We then get the song, Cut the Ties. Roddy has a gun. (laughs) He pulls out this gun and he tries to hand it to Shiloh and tells her if she shoots her father on stage now, she gets all of Jinko, all of it. Everything he has goes to her. And Shiloh is obviously shocked. So are Pavi and Luigi who are still on stage. So Roddy tries to get Shiloh to kill Nathan, but Shiloh says, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't have to make the same choices that he did. Just because he's a monster doesn't mean I have to be one. But this isn't really good enough for Roddy. He grabs the gun back and shoots Nathan. But then before he can do anything about the paper, he coughs and dies. Before he dies though, he does have the chance to reject every single one of his children as they come and try to help him. He tells his kids they disgust him, he calls everyone maggots, and he drops dead. That's the end of Roddy. What a finale. Wow. I know, right? It's a lot to take in. That's four songs, but they all happen pretty quickly, and we're just gonna listen to them all together in a big chunk. I'm gonna call Great. this the opera section. Let's give it a listen. But to be honest, this is kind of goals. I would like my terminal illness to be exploited into an operatic finale. Yeah. Drama. None of this makes sense, by the way. That's some very red blood. Yeah, maybe it's the snow? Oh, yeah. So you need to fight through it, but also I'm gonna give you some medicine. Yeah. I feel like Shiloh is the only person who has figured out that Roddy is full of bullshit. So many repeated themes. I'm so glad we had 50 songs to draw from. Yeah. There's that sequence. It's a lot, right? Yeah. So everyone's dead or disgraced or upset. And Shiloh's with her dad, who's slowly, quickly bleeding out. Before Nathan dies, though, him and Shiloh are going to get a really pretty duet that's called I Didn't Know I'd Loved You So Much. It's just a very tender moment that happens before Nathan kicks it. This is I Didn't Know I'd Loved You So Much. Personal opinion. Alexa Vega can sing. She just has really loud breaths. Yeah, sometimes she pushes a little too hard, but like when she gets it, she gets it. I don't think she has that wide of a range, and that's kind of why she's pushing her high notes. She's got a pop voice, is what she's got. Beautiful father-daughter duet. So moving. Everyone's dead now. Yeah. Nathan dies. Shiloh is left alone on stage. We're nearing the end of the show. There's only one or two numbers left. Question number 12. Who gets the last song in the show? Is it A, Shiloh, B, the grave robber, C, Roddy's children, or D, Shiloh's child? Gotta be grave robber. It's definitely the grave robber. What kind of quasi-narrator would he be without the last number in the show? Yeah, like, he's gotta be him. We gotta come back to him. Of course we do. Shiloh has to leave the opera first, though. So she sings the song Genetic Emancipation, 
and just leaves. There's a car outside waiting for her. She gets in it and she goes. Wait, that's, I'm sorry, that's it? That's it. She just leaves. She basically says, I don't want to deal with my father's destiny. I don't want to try to deal with the destiny Roddy was forcing on me. I kind of just want to go and be a 17-year-old girl. I'm gonna leave. And she walks out of the theater. Fair. Fair enough. But before we go, Grave Robber has to come back and wrap us up. So he comes and sings the song Epitaph. And he reveals that after Shiloh disappeared, the company has been left in chaos. There's a bunch of people fighting to try to take ownership. And really anyone could try to take ownership. Everything is chaos and nothing matters. Open to interpretation ending. This is not a play that's giving you answers. So that's, that's pretty much the end of the show. Let's finish it out. Her low range is great. And like, no, no one is going to stop her. Who would? I mean, she didn't well, shoot anyone. Probably. Yeah, where are all the kids? Where is anyone? Are you not moved by this opera? Weep, you audience, weep. Standing ovation. Bravo. Beautiful work. Goth opera. Blood saga. Sometimes I Thanks wonder for your ending how message of existential dread, Grave Robber. So there you go. Wow, that's so good. So that's the movie. I feel like we should talk for just a short moment about why this movie is maybe left so open-ended. And I think one of the big reasons is this cast wanted a sequel. Pretty much everyone on the cast said that they had a really good time with this filming and this production period, and that if things had gone better financially with this movie, it probably would have gotten a sequel, because everyone was on board to do it, Terrence was on board to write it, director was on board to direct it. It never really happened, only because the movie didn't do that great. And there are actually cast members who have said in the interviews, like, maybe someday it'll get a cult following and we can get a sequel for this. Yeah. It's a little bit out of their hands at this point because apparently Lionsgate owns the rights to the story, so they can't go off and make a movie elsewhere. I would watch the hell out of that. So since we have made it through the entirety of the show now, let's talk about that. I want to go into songs. Sam, what's your favorite song from this show and why? Oh, God. I know, Um, there's so many. All 53 of them. There's so many, and also we watched some of them, like, several days ago, which does not help. Oh, thankless job. Oh, thankless job. You have to tell me why, though. I just, it feels like gritty punk rock Repo Man version of Master of the House. I can feel that. And I love that. I definitely can feel it being... A more comedic number. Thankless Job definitely has the best comedic tone in this movie as like a comic relief song. Yeah, like the one with the kids just feels weird and not thought out enough. I feel that. I definitely feel that. As much as I love all of the aesthetics in Zydrate Anatomy, I actually think Chase the Morning is my favorite song. And it's not, you know, the most out there number in the show, but if I were going to pick a song to listen to, it would probably be Chase the Morning. I think Sarah Brightman sounds great. I really like the chorus line. It's just a good song. True. So those are our best songs. Now comes the real hard choice. Sam, what's the worst song in this show and why? 
The one I was literally just ripping on. I don't remember the name of it, but the one where it's Amber, Luigi, and Pavi, like, Luigi fucking stabbing someone, Pavi being Pavi, and Amber whining. Mark It Up uh, is the name of the song. And I probably, I probably agree with also, you. Also, they just say Mark It Up. They're talking about the will, but I definitely can see that it's not clear. They say Mark right. It Up so many times, and they're also talking about all of their great qualities. It's definitely definitely not a focused song. I will give you that one. If I were going to cut a song from the show, it would 100% be Mark It Up. Yeah. I'm glad we're in agreement. That made that really easy. Let's get to the show overall then. What's your 1 to 10 rating? <sighs> All right. So I'm going to give it an overall rating of 4. Wow. However, this is largely due to the very, very bad acting and singing. Okay. In terms of design, straight 10. Sorry, 9 because of the chandelier. <laughs> in, in terms of like successive concept, overall aesthetic, the way the show flows, I would give it definitely a 10. Also the fact that it leaves you to figure out some things without really giving you a way to do so. I definitely like that it's open-ended. I like that it's open-ended. I don't like that there are certain things that feel very important that you're left to figure out and you have to like really sort through a lot of shit to do it. Yeah. Just in terms of world build, I don't think it does enough active world building. I feel that. This is actually what I kind of said in my things. Overall, I'm giving this show a five. And the reason being, this show knows what it is and does that really well. Like, it's got a lot of complexity going on. It's got, it's goth aesthetic nailed. But it's also doing just so much. The songs, the plot, the design, they're all really busy. A lot of it is great, but I don't think all of it is as good as the best parts of the show. Yeah. If you like Rocky Horror, if you like camp drama gore musicals, this is your show. But also, like, this is a hugely polarizing show, too. There are a lot of people that can't get past the bad singing and bad acting. Like, there are people that hate this movie. And yeah, I understand. Like, I can't honestly say it is overall a good movie. It nope. is a highly enjoyable one. Yes. I would say if you can get through, you know, the bad bits and also the gore. Like, this is not a for the faint of heart musical in terms of gore. It is slasher. Like, when that dude's spine gets ripped out, it really looks like a spine. Yeah. If you just want to have a good scary time with your friends this Halloween and watch a dumb musical, I 100% recommend this. It is great for that. Yeah. Is it a good show? We both kind of agree. Eh, no, but it's fun. Yes. Yep. The last question in our general overall talking about the show is, if this were playing, how much would you pay and go see it? Ooh, playing as a movie or playing as a play? Let's like, talk like about both. Show. I would love to see this as a stage show. I understand that small productions aren't going to have the budget to pull this off. But while we're making all the stupid movie musicals on Broadway and giving them like $18 million budgets, can we please make a Broadway version of Repo? I would pay money to see it. I would pay a Broadway ticket to see a Broadway production of Repo. I would pay like at least 50, 60 bucks. I also would probably pay less because I like to sit balcony. I wouldn't pay orchestra prices, but I never do because I'm of the opinion that orchestra seats are terrible seats. I think I would probably pay 
if this were on stage and it were like a full Broadway production or a touring company, I would maybe pay 150 bucks to see this show. I really like this show. Ooh, wow. So, yeah. I wouldn't pay more than 90, but that's not personal to this show. I just don't pay more than 90 for a ticket. The reason I like to ask this question is people have a lot of different pricing opinions. For a movie version of this, though, like, I would also probably shell out 20 bucks to go and see, like, a sing-along version of this. Oh my god. So, there is a theater in Chicago called The Music Box. Yeah, that does Rocky Horror. Yeah, I would love to see The Music Box do this. I really think they should. I would love to start seeing shadow casts of this. I would love it to become a cult classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's my general feelings on this. It's definitely in that dark comedy, horror, campy musical vein. And if that's a thing you like, this is definitely a show for you. Oh yeah. This is the musical for people who like bad movies. Yeah. With all that being said, unless you have any last thoughts you want to add? No, not really. I think we're about finished with the show. Except for saying goodbye, I think you're about done. Sam, congratulations on completing my musical challenge. Hooray! You ended the day with six points, which does make you the reigning champion supreme on Broadway Battles. Please bask in your glory. I will play a beautiful fanfare here. <laughs> thank you. And Sam, thank you so much again for coming on the show. I believe there's a couple things you'd like to plug for yourself since you do some great freelancing work. There is. If you need someone to do lighting design or photography, you can contact me via my website at samvanloon.com. Van like the car and loon like the bird. I also have a podcast that is very different from this. If you like Dungeons and Dragons and you're like extra super very nerdy about it, you can come listen to me and my friend Warren do live homebrewing on D and Does It Work? That's D ampersand Does It Work question mark. Our logo is a little question mark that looks like a dragon. We only have two episodes so far, but we're going to be running another one very soon. And we would love it if you would come listen to us. All right, everyone, be sure you go check out Sam's podcast podcast because it sounds like a lot of nerdy fun and be sure to go give them a look on their website i can attest that they do excellent headshot work so if you're in the market for new headshots give them a check as always we want to thank you again for listening to our show we really can't make this without you if you want to help out the show, engaging with us, recommending us to friends, sharing us on your own Facebook pages, or giving us a review like a five-star on iTunes is one of the best ways that you can help our show grow its audience for free. Word of mouth is one of the best things for new shows, so we'd really appreciate it if you took the time to tell your friends how cool you think we are. If you want to find out about my other work, you can also follow me at Haley Slammon on Instagram and Twitter, or at Haley Slammon on Facebook, or on my website at HaleySlammon.com. All my other art stuff, my theater reviews, my crafting are on there somewhere, and there's no other Haley Slammon on the planet I've checked. So if you see a Haley Slammon, it's probably me, and you can come say hi anytime. Lastly, if you'd like to support our show even more, you can donate and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Haley Slammon. You get lots of bonus content like uncut episodes, pictures, scripts, and even more. So be sure to check that out if you want to help us out. We'd really appreciate it. Right now we're doing shows once a month, but if we have the demand and ability to do so, we'd love to make more content for you guys. So if you can help us do that, it means more shows for you and more work for us. For now though, we'll be back next month with another musical and another brand new guest. Thank you so much again for listening. Thank you again, Sam. It's been a pleasure. And for everyone out there, take care and thanks for listening to Broadway Battles.